Good afternoon. Welcome to our afternoon service. We continue to work our way through John's Gospel. Love John's Gospel. And uh, I think it must be every time I preach through it, I think this is my favourite book of the Bible. Thankfully, I think I feel the same about many books. But we're in John 3, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible, verses 9 to 15. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And may God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Amen. Hardly a day goes by, we do not hear of some famous person's fall from grace. Famous in their own eyes even, or a social media person, but actors, producers, directors, journalists, TV celebrities, writers, politicians, maybe even pastors, sadly. Sad stories we have heard. And not only accusations, but sometimes confirmed and admitted. People that we liked or associated with institutions we respect, or we knew or thought we knew or trusted. Maybe in some instances, the people close to the situation now some of the stories come out. They say, well, that was like a bit of an open secret. We knew these things were going on in Hollywood or with this politician or whoever that person may be. They seem to have had a reputation. But in the eyes of the public, so often these people who have had a catastrophic fall from grace were previously thought to be brilliant, influential. In many cases, we really respected them, revered them, good, trustworthy people. So it turns out the people are not always who they think they are. And it's easy to feel judgmental, isn't it? And or maybe even feel some pity. Definitely sorry for those who have been wronged. But Jesus would not let us to just think about sad situations. What a sad world we live in. Look at all the sinful people doing sinful things. Jesus doesn't leave us there. He would have us consider the matter a little closer to home. What if we are not the people that others think we are? Or what if we are not the people we think we are, which is even a little scarier to consider? Or what if all the things we like to think about ourselves are, if we had a quiet moment to actually consider what is going on in our hearts, much less than we see? We have an immortal soul. The abundance of life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions. So sometimes we need to stop, think and be quiet. And remember the devil has many tools in his arsenal. And maybe one of the great tools he has in our day is to keep people being so busy, going so fast all the time. Because if they ever had a moment to think, a spare moment or even a second of boredom, well, 
We There's a screen, there's an app that can take care of that moment of boredom. The devil keeps us away from uncomfortable thoughts. The devil would have us so busy that we never think about who we really are. And what if we're not who we think we are? We see here with Nicodemus, there is a disconnect between his credentials and his comprehension. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Last week we saw that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. He's a very important person. And though they may sound like bad categories to us, they certainly were not in the first century. These were the good guys. These people took the Torah seriously. These would have been the people speaking at conferences and writing books we would buy. These were the people to look up to. We see another designation in verse 10. Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel? Notice the definitive article, the. It suggests he may have been an especially prominent official, not just a any teacher. He was a Pharisee and the teacher in Israel. You think Jesus is impressed with titles? No. And see how Jesus answers Nicodemus's question with another question. Nicodemus asked in verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus answered with a question, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So there's a gap between his reputation on one hand and the real thing on the other. Jesus never wants us just to look at reputation alone. And on the other hand, comprehension. Jesus is always about exploding the supposed importance of credentials and reputation if you don't have the real thing. In chapter 2, verse 25, Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knows you. He knows me. He knew Nicodemus. He knew what was not in Nicodemus. You can fool everyone else all the time. You never fool Jesus. Jesus knew what Nicodemus had. You know what you have, Nicodemus. Jesus is saying, you have a reputation, you have titles, you have credentials. You know what you do not have, the real thing. Let me just show you in our time this afternoon, three hard words that Jesus had to say to Nicodemus. And perhaps a word that he wants to say to some of us today as well. Jesus says to Nicodemus, and maybe he says to some of you. Number one, you do not know your Bible. That's verse 10 and verse 12. Jesus, Jesus has just got done speaking about being born again. You enter into the kingdom of heaven by being born again, being born of water and the spirit. Nicodemus is not so much confused. Rather, he just does not believe it. He doesn't know his Bible. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He should have known. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. And Moses speaks of our need to be circumcised in the heart. He should have known Isaiah 44, Joel 2, prophesying about the coming outpouring of the Spirit. Jeremiah 31, the promise of the new covenant and God will write the law on their hearts. 
Surely he should have understood David's prayer in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. He should have known the Old Testament idea of being renewed in the heart. Nicodemus should have known Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. He should have known we're born into the world with a natural tendency to hate God and hate our neighbour. Now, some of us are born into good homes, and good neighbourhoods, and we're polite, we're respectful. Doesn't change the heart. God has to change the heart. Some of us have learned to be polite, yet we're born with a natural tendency to hate God and hate our neighbour. Nicodemus should have understood this. He was the teacher in Israel. But in particular, he should have known Ezekiel 36. That's what Jesus had in mind when he spoke earlier about water and spirit. Ezekiel 36 verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And after that passage in 36 we come to the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37 Verse 4, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Why are there bones? Because there is death. There are skeletons because there is no life. Then he prophesies over them. This comes through the abiding, germinating power of the word. The spirit comes, the bones live and sinews. Bones are connected to bones and flesh on the bones and walk, live, move. This is what God by his spirit has to do. Brothers and sisters, Nicodemus should have known his Bible. We need to know our Bibles. You can't cause your child to be born again. You can't do it. We have to be about the things that we are powerless to do. New birth. Rescuing souls from hell for heaven. Bringing marriages to be healed. Bringing conviction of sin. These are the things the Spirit must do through his word that he uses us. But we are ultimately powerless to accomplish them. We need the dry bones to be invigorated with the Spirit. We need water to come and cleanse. We need the spirit to give us a new heart. These are things that Nicodemus, as the teacher, should have known, but he did not know. Jesus says to Nicodemus, how have you missed these things? Nicodemus was the teacher. He'd probably taught for years about entrance into the kingdom. Maybe he'd said you obey God or you perform the sacrifices or you trust in God's promises, but he wasn't talking about the new birth. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? The earthly things probably have to do with this new birth. Well, how is that an earthly thing? It's earthly in the sense you can see the effects. You see the effects of the wind. You see the effects of the new birth that happens on earth, the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You need a new heart. You need to see evidence of a new heart. And if you cannot understand that, the earthly things, how are you going to understand the invisible heavenly things? The mysteries to be revealed concerning the Trinity, cross and resurrection. 
He was a ruler, teacher, Pharisee, and failing on a fundamental point because he doesn't know his Bible. What about you? Would people be surprised how much or how little you read your Bible? Would they be surprised to find you sit in the same chair every morning reading? Or would they be surprised to find it's been weeks in between opening God's word? Biblical literacy in this country is not exactly at an all-time high. You probably find more people who can name the four Beatles than the four Gospels. But it's not so much we need to get the Bible trivia stuff right, though it is fun to do. When you're steeped in the word of God, there are things that are second nature to you. But it's not that you're going to do well on the Bible trivia exam. No, your head and your heart will not be shaped by the culture of the Bible. It'll be shaped by the culture around us. If you're not spending your time in the words, you'll be shaped by social media. You'll be shaped by films you watch. You'll be shaped by the media. You'll be shaped by YouTube. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you don't know your Bible. You should, as the teacher, know it. It isn't a small thing to be born again. The second thing Jesus says to Nicodemus, and maybe to you, he says, you do not know who to listen to. Verse 11, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. There are two interpretive questions. In verse 11, who is the we? This is Jesus. Who is the we? Some people say Jesus is speaking on behalf of the prophets, for the prophets. All the ambassadors of God say this. Other people say he's speaking of the disciples. There would have been disciples with him, presumably. But the disciples seem clueless through most of the Gospels. It's hard to think they're getting this unless he's speaking of a time when they will get it. Or maybe he's just using a royal we. Or maybe he's speaking in some measure of the Trinity of the Son and the Spirit. I've seen these things and bear witness or I am the father of one or maybe that's the we. I do not think that these explanations are mutually exclusive. I think there's certainly something else going on, though. Go back to verse two. John three, verse two. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus uses the plural we, speaking for himself, maybe a few other Pharisees, maybe a few other rulers, maybe thinking of the crowds who can see what Jesus has done. And Jesus comes back in verse 11 and says, Amen, Amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive it. So whether the we is the Father, Son and Spirit, or whether the we is the disciples or the prophets, Jesus is coming to Nicodemus with a we because Nicodemus first came to him with a question, with a statement, we know. That's the verse 11, but look at verse 13. Why this past perfect? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus' title for himself. So he's clearly talking about himself. It would make sense if he had said no one will ascend because Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. But he says no one has ascended into heaven. 
there were lots of stories in the first centuries about people going to heaven. You can think straight away of a couple of examples in the Old Testament, people who didn't die but went to heaven. Aha, you do get Bible trivia here. Enoch, Elijah. Then there were also stories about Isaiah because he had the vision of the Lord high and lifted up in his temple. Moses, who had direct encounters with God on the mountain. There was a whole kind of cottage industry sprung up in this first century about people who had gone to heaven or people who had had heavenly encounters with God, what they see and what they did, what they knew. Jesus says, there is no one who has ascended into heaven. And in parentheses, as I am going to ascend into heaven, except for the one who first descends from heaven. Jesus is speaking of a heavenly knowledge that you cannot have unless you are the one who descended from heaven in order that later you might ascend back into heaven. The Son has non-mediated knowledge of the Father. So this kind of ascent cannot happen except by way of descent. He's speaking of his incarnation first, exaltation later. So it is a little tricky because he says, has ascended, speaking of there is no one who has this already. And then he is looking forward to what he himself will accomplish. One commentator says it this way. Jesus is saying no one else has ascended into heaven and remained there. So as to be able to speak with authority about heavenly things. But only the one who has come down from heaven is equipped to do so. Jesus has come from heaven. He's equipped to speak of heavenly things and he will ascend back to heaven. All of this to say the point of verse 11 and the point of verse 13, Jesus is saying, I am the one you need to listen to. Nicodemus, you say we have seen things. Nicodemus, I have seen things. I come from there. And it seems, judging by Jesus' responses, that Nicodemus was not just a humble seeker at this point. His questions weren't earnest searching, but incredulous retort. How does, exactly does a man go back into his mother's womb? How can these things be? Our Lord is patient. But Nicodemus is kind of throwing up his arms and shrugging his shoulders and saying, well, how's that going to work, Jesus? So Jesus turns from dialogue to monologue in the last part of the paragraph, reinforces to Nicodemus and to us that he is the only one with heavenly knowledge. He is the one who bears witness to the Father. He is the one that you need to listen to. And at some point in all of our lives, the question will become straightforward and simple. Are you going to listen to Jesus? Are you more shaped by Jesus or by the media and the world? As Christians, the question is what we think with and under and for Jesus. Because a time will come in your life, you have to ask yourself, am I going to listen to Jesus? They had Jesus in front of them and they did not believe. Sometimes we think if Jesus was just here, all of my non-Christian friends would become Christians. They would not. Or if Jesus was here, I would get it. I would believe in a heartbeat. No, you would not. They didn't hear. It's the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus wasn't listening to the right people. Jesus says if you're not listening to the right people, it means you're not listening to him. So forget being on the right side of history, be on the right side of God.
And the final word that Jesus says to Nicodemus, Jesus says, you do not know who I am. That's our third hard word. We saw last week Nicodemus had good things to say about Jesus. We know that you've done signs, that you're a rabbi, that we know that you're a teacher. We know that you come from God. All true things, but he really doesn't know. My friend, you can know that Jesus, you can think that Jesus is a good man. You can think Jesus is a good teacher. You can be pro-Jesus and you still do not know who he is. Verse 14 and 15, Jesus references another Old Testament story. Numbers 21. It's a strange story. The people of God are wandering in the wilderness. And as they were apt to do, they grumbled against God. And Moses said there was no water. We hate this food. We're all going to die. Does that sound like meal times in your house? We're all Israelites when we come to meal times. I hate this food. There's nothing to eat. I'm starving. Every time I said that, I learned as a child that that was going to elicit a lecture about the people in the world who really were starving and how hungry they were. They would be absolutely thankful for all the vegetables. So they're like children. They're like us. We hate this. We're going to die. Why did you bring us out here just to die in the wilderness? We should never have left the slavery in Egypt. So God sends fiery serpents among the people. There's snakes everywhere. They bite the people. The people die. The people beg Moses intercede on our behalf. And Moses prays for the people and God tells Moses, I want you to make a bronze serpent like the ones biting you and put it on a pole. And if they look on the snake, they will live. It seems strange. We don't think of serpents as being symbols for healing, but here it was. The bronze serpent reminded the people they didn't have the power to save themselves. They had to look outside of themselves for the remedy to their sin. And just as the bronze serpent was lifted up for the healing of the people, Jesus said, so will the son of man be lifted up for the salvation of sinners. The phrase being lifted up is the perfect phrase. It does double duty. On the one hand, lifted up on the cross. On the other, lifted up in exaltation and glory. And that's how the word is used throughout John's gospel. John 8 verse 28, Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the father taught me. John 12 verse 32 and I when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. Listen friends the offence the mystery the wonder of the cross is that these two things happen at the same moment. The moment of Christ's most, most exquisite shame is the moment of his greatest triumph. To be lifted on, up on the cross is to be lifted up in exaltation and glory. Jesus says the son of man will be lifted up like the bronze serpent in the wilderness and all who look on him and believe will be healed. Lifted high. That Christ may be preeminent. That Christ may have supremacy. That is our point of our ministry. And my ministry is to lift up Jesus. That is ultimately what my preaching should be about. That's ultimately what we should all be about. The banner waved over our church is not, first of all, reformed, although I am one of those with all of my heart. Or the Westminster Confession, or a certain theological view on baptism, or the end times. The banner to wave over the church of Jesus Christ must be, and always will be, must be the cross of Christ. That he would be lifted up. You need to know how it shapes how I think about ministry. 
Because if you think, if you lift up as the banner of a sort of razzmatazz, that should draw people. You draw the wrong sort of people, even with good things. Now this is the church for people who believe in predestination. Well, you know what? If you lift high Christ, you get people who want to know Christ. And then as they love Christ, you teach them about the Bible and you teach them good doctrine. And when we lift high, what we say that this is a place where Christ is lifted high, where Christ will be preached. That's the point of our ministry. It's the point of your faith. Faith to look on the one lifted up, the suffering servant, the mangled Messiah, and say, this is what I need. This is who I will follow. This is what glory looks like. This is where eternal life comes from. I said that there was a gap between Nicodemus and his credentials and his comprehension. His was not a failure of intellect, but a failure of faith. He wasn't yet ready to look upon the bronze serpent and be healed. The story from Numbers is so instructive. The snake could not provide eternal life, but it was a means of exercising faith. But Jesus is the object and the originator of that faith. If you know your Bible, you know that it was in the Old Testament later than in the days of Hezekiah. They had to destroy the bronze serpent because people thought it had magic powers. So they had to destroy it. There wasn't power in the snake. There is power in Christ. And you can say we've all been bitten by the serpent in the garden, marked by sin. We cannot save ourselves. And just as God sent the fiery serpents to punish them and then gave the bronze serpent to save them. We know that God is the one who judges sin and he's the one who can heal sin. Look at the one who is lifted up, the foolishness of the cross. The serpent would have seemed foolish to people. There have been people there in agony, in pain, bitten by fiery serpents. And Moses says, good news, you can be healed. Or what do we have to do? Look at that bronze serpent over there. Do you think there were some who said, I got bit by a snake, I'm not looking at a snake. It's just a bronze serpent, what's it going to do for me? It's the foolishness, just like the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross, you look upon the one who is crushed, that he might be your healing. I began the serpent talking about sermon, talking about a gap that you maybe have between your reputation and reality. There may be some things we have to do, some things we have to learn, better habits. But in another sense, the only way to close the gap is the cross. Jesus answers Nicodemus's question, how can these things be? By saying, I will tell you how these things can be. When the son is lifted up, son of man is lifted up, will they be? Jesus said, you can't make yourself be born again. The call of Christ is never birth yourself. The call of the gospel is to believe. And when you believe, it is because you've been born again. So it isn't hopeless. God doesn't say birth yourself. He says believe. And when you believe, it is because you have been born. So friends, don't look inside. For every one look you take, look at yourself, take ten looks at the cross, somebody once said. Don't look inside, look at the cross. Jesus didn't know who, Nicodemus didn't know who Jesus was, but you can. But look and believe. May the Lord bless the word for his glory and our good. Amen.